Hello, I'm Danny Aiken, president of Southeastern Baptist Theological Seminary. We want to thank you for listening to this chapel message. Our mission at Southeastern is to seek to glorify the Lord Jesus Christ by equipping students to serve the church and fulfill the Great Commission. We hope that you enjoy this chapel message and that you will visit our website. It's www.sebts.edu. There you can learn more about our school and what the Lord is doing here. We hope you enjoy the message. Thank you for being a part of what we're doing here. Thank you, Dr. Aiken. What a joy it is uh, to be here with you this, this morning. It's my first trip to uh, Southeastern, and um, I am um, thoroughly, thoroughly, thoroughly impressed. This beautiful place, beautiful campus. Um, I didn't know it was so beautiful. I'd have come here before. Um, but um, thank you. Thank you for the invite. Uh, thank you for coming to the chapel this, this morning. And I pray by God's grace uh, it will be worth your while as the Spirit of God encourages our hearts according to his word. Amen? Amen. Let's pray and ask God's blessing upon us. Heavenly Father, we do thank you this morning again that you have been faithful. You've been faithful and your mercies being new. That you have granted us once again the mind to worship you to honor you, and to know you. You have reminded us of our greatest calling, and that is to give you glory. Thank you, Lord, for that mercy. Be with us now. We pray your anointing would come, and that the Spirit would open our hearts fresh, open our minds, open our eyes and our ears, that we might see and hear and believe in Jesus again, and that he would become even a new Christ to us this very morning. And this we pray in Jesus' name, amen. But if you would, if you turn in your Bibles to Matthew chapter 14, we'll look uh, briefly. Tell me I have about um, 30, 35 minutes. So if I preach 30, 35 minutes, I only, I'm only going to do that if you promise not to tell anyone at my church that I preach for 30, 35 minutes. <laughs> Amen? We'll make that covenant here this morning. Matthew 14, beginning in verse 22, the inspired word of God reads as follows. Immediately, he made the disciples get into the boat and go before him to the other side while he dismissed the crowds. And after he had dismissed the crowds, he went up on the mountain by himself to pray. When evening came, he was there alone. But the boat by this time was a long way from the land, beaten by the waves, for the wind was against them. And in the fourth watch of the night, he came to them walking on the sea. But when the disciples saw him walking on the sea, they were terrified and said, It is a ghost. And they cried out in fear. But immediately Jesus spoke to them, saying, Take heart, it is I. Do not be afraid. And Peter answered him, Lord, if it is you, command me to come to you on the water. He said, Come. So Peter got out of the boat and walked on the water and came to Jesus. 
And when he saw the wind, he was afraid. And beginning to sink, he cried out, Lord, save me. Jesus immediately reached out his hand and took hold of him, saying to him, O oh, you of little faith, why did you doubt? And when they got into the boat, the wind ceased. And those in the boat worshipped him, saying, Truly you are the Son of God. Walking, walking by faith. I grew up in rural Michigan, north of Grand Rapids, Michigan, hour and a half or so. And there were, uh, at that time, more dirt roads and gravel roads than there were paved ones. In fact, my mother still lives on that dirt road. And there was no public transportation. Uh, if you got around, you, we would ride bikes, and sometimes we would have even motor ones. But for the most part, we walked. We walked everywhere we went. Walking was a normal, uh, necessary, and expected way of life. We walked long distances. We walked short distances. We walked to school uphill in the snow both ways. We walked. For as a boy, walking was part of my life. This is even more so when the time when Jesus was upon the earth. In the days of our Lord, he was in this world. Jesus walked. He and his disciples basically walked everywhere, my beloved. Walking was an expected and necessary part of life, and therefore it should not surprise us then that walking or walk is used often as a common metaphor for the Christian life. Oftentimes in, in scriptures we are told to walk. Why? Because walk carries with it this kind of steady pace, this steady movement. You're, you're not stopped, but you're not hurried. You're, you're, you're moving at a steady pace. You're not worried, but you are moving. You're walking. Therefore, the Bible reminds us so often, does it not, that we walk in the light that we walk in truth, that we walk in Christ. Galatians reminds us, does not, that we walk in the Spirit. Indeed, in, in 2 Corinthians chapter 5 and verse 7, we are plainly taught that we walk by faith and not by sight. That we walk by faith, and indeed, it is this life of faith that Jesus is impressing upon his disciples at every moment of their time together, and therefore, he impresses upon us as well. In walking, he wanted to encourage them to trust in him. He wanted them to rely on him, to trust in him even as they trust in God. Jesus wanted to impress upon them the need for a life of faith or a walk of faith. And I am convinced this morning that our text is just to that end. Jesus here is teaching his disciples once again to walk by faith. Having immediately dismissed the, the 5,000 
people that he fed miraculously from a, from a little boy's picnic basket. Our Lord was weary, the Bible says, and, and, and wanting to spend some time recuperating and meditating and praying. He dismisses his disciples as he goes away to pray tells his disciples, the Bible says he commands his disciples that they must get in the boat and go to the other side of the sea. And what they no doubt thought was going to be a routine boat ride to the other side of the Sea of Galilee, the Bible says that by the wee hours of the morning in mid-trip, the wind and the waves turned against them and not making progress like they probably thought they should make. Jesus sees them struggling out on the sea and determines to go to them. But he goes to them not by boat, but he goes to them as he always has, has come to them. He walks. He walks to them. This is what Jesus did. He walked. The Bible never records for us Jesus running, never seems to be in a hurry. Even in the most distressful, seemingly distressful situations, Jesus walked. Even upon the stormy seas, Jesus walked. That's why the songwriter's right. He walks with me. He talks with me. And he tells me that I am his own. Jesus walked to his disciples and he walks with his disciples, beloved. And in Jesus walking to his disciples, I think he instructs us as to the nature of this walk of faith that we are to have as his disciples today. For we see in this episode of Jesus walking to his disciples, walking upon the sea, we see that in the walk of faith, we have a foe. And in the walk of faith, we have a foundation, and in our walk of faith, we necessarily must have a focus. And in this walk of faith, we have a foe. We have a foe that we are fighting against. And what is that foe, beloved? What is the fight within faith? The fight within faith, the foe that we are struggling against is fear. Fear, doubt. Notice what it says in verse 26. But when the disciples saw Jesus walking on the sea, they were terrified and said, it is a ghost, and they cried out in fear. Disciples were afraid, and in my opinion, my brothers and sisters, they had reason to be afraid. Someone, one of, my, uh, one of the parishioners at our church called me one day and said, just out of the blue, said, Pastor, do you believe in ghosts? And I said, well, that depends. Do you mean holy or Casper? 
Well, apparently, the disciples in Jesus' day, they believed in ghosts because the only explanation they had for something or someone walking across the water as if it was dry land had to be some type of apparition, had to be a non-corporeal being, had to be a ghost. Most of us are afraid of what we think we see in the darkness. The disciples were afraid of what they actually saw in the darkness. Terrified them. Fear is real. It eats at our faith. It undermines our convictions. There are ghosts all around us of which we are afraid. The Bible speaks to them. Proverbs chapter 29 and verse 25, the Bible speaks of the fear of men. Matthew chapter 6 and verse 34, the Bible tells us of the fear of tomorrow. In Mark chapter 4 and verse 40, the Bible speaks of the fear of storms in our we fear the unfamiliar. We fear the different. We fear different people. We fear different cultures. We fear different customs. In fact, a lot of the uh, racism and the, and the racial discussions that we are having today are really rooted in ungodly fear. We fear others. We fear that others will infringe upon our way of living, that they would infringe upon our customs, that they would undermine our cultural comfort zones. And then when we fear, we begin to act out of that fear, and that becomes a sin. We sin because we are afraid that God is not going to do what we want him to do or what he said he would do. We sin because we say things that we shouldn't say because we believe or fear that God won't speak up for us. We sin and we do things we shouldn't do because we fear that God won't provide. This is the fight that we have in the midst of our faith, in our walk of faith. This is the foe that we are constantly struggling against. And by the grace and the mercy of God, God knows this. He knows this is our tendency. He knows this is the malady that, that, is, that is always striving, striving and struggling within his people. And therefore, the comforting command that is given to God's people throughout the Scriptures over and over again is, is fear not. Do not be afraid. That's what he, he told Abraham in Genesis chapter 15 and verse 1, didn't he? Fear not. 
He told Isaac in Genesis 26 and, and 24, fear not when the children of Israel are out there by the Red Sea and the Red Sea before them and Pharaoh's armies behind them, thinking that this was going to be the last days upon the earth for them. The Word of God comes to them and says, fear not. When Joshua is about to go into Ai and take Ai, God reminds Joshua, Joshua, do not be afraid. When, when Gideon, with his arms army that is depleted, about to go against the Midianites, and he, he's fearful there's no way he can overcome this mighty army. The word from God is, do not be afraid. When Jehoshaphat is facing the army of the Ammonites, he is, he is fearful and wondering what is going to happen. He begins to pray, and the word from the Lord is, Jehoshaphat, do not be afraid. Consider Mary. That young girl was given this awesome charge of bringing into the world the Savior of all mankind and the social situations that are, uh, that are facing her. And the angel comes to her and says, Mary, do not be afraid. Those shepherds out there on the hillside in Luke chapter 2 as the angels are gathering around them, and I'm sure their hearts are beating within them, wondering what is going to happen. Is this the end of our existence? And the angels come to them and says, fear not. John is out there on the Isle of, of Patmos. He has been abandoned for his faith, and he's wondering, has the Lord abandoned him? And suddenly in the revelation, the Lord Jesus comes to him, and John falls on his face as if dead. Jesus says, John, fear not. And so it is with these disciples. Jesus is walking to them on the water, and their hearts once again are gripped by fear. And the word of God to them is, do not be afraid. From Genesis to Revelation, beloved, the, the word of God is filled with this strong encouragement for his people. Fear not, do not be afraid. When my children were smaller, there were times that they were afraid of the dark. And they would call for daddy, 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 and come into the room. And when I come into the room, they would say, daddy, there's a monster in the closet. Now, what they didn't realize is that if there really was a monster in the closet, daddy was going to do them no good. But I knew there were no monsters in the closet. And so we would instruct them, don't be afraid of the monsters. Call upon Jesus. For when you tell Jesus, when you talk to Jesus, when you call upon Jesus, monsters disappear. Just have a little talk with Jesus. Tell him all about your sorrows. He will hear your faintest cry, and he will answer by and by. What did the disciples return? What did the disciples learn? There's no ghosts. There's no monsters. Jesus says, it is I. 
do not be afraid. No monsters, no ghosts, just Jesus. The fight within faith is against fear. The foundation of the walk of faith is given here too. It is the word of God. Faith, beloved, is not wishful thinking. Biblical faith is not blind or empty-headed. But faith has a firm foundation. It is deeply rooted. It is grounded upon the assurance and the conviction of the word of God. Notice what it says in verse 28. Because once the shock of the moment is over and Jesus reassures his disciples that it is only him, notice that Peter gets it. He gets it and he says, Lord, if it is you, command me to come to you on the water. And Jesus said, come. And Peter got out of the boat and walked on the water. And came to Jesus. Now, my brothers and sisters, here's the question. What would make a man step out of that boat and decide that he was going to walk on water? Nothing! Nothing, there is no way I am getting out of that boat. And suppose that I could put my feet upon the surface of the sea. What in the world would make a man think that he could do that? What causes a man or a woman to do something that normally they would never think of doing? Only one thing, they have a word from God, the word of Christ. Why does Peter step out of that boat? Because Jesus said, come, come. And at that moment, Peter is not standing on the water. He is standing on the Word of God. Those who have dared to stand against the odds, my brothers and sisters, have dared to do so believing on the Word of God. What would cause Noah to build the boat? A huge monstrosity when most of those people had probably never seen a boat or been fearful of rain. Noah had the word of God. What would cause Abraham to leave everything that he knew, his cultural comfort zone, his family and friends, and to set out on a march to somewhere that he did not know where he was going or how he was going to get there, except he had the word of 
God. What would cause Moses to think that he could stand before the powers of Egypt and demand that Pharaoh let the slaves of Israel go? It's because he had the word of God. What do you think would cause Gideon to think that he could overcome the mighty Mennonites with just a few soldiers? because he had the Word of God. What would make the Apostle Paul forsake all that he knew, all of his cultural comfort zone, all of his security, family and friends and heritage, except that he had the Word of God? What would cause a German monk to determine that he could stand against the ecclesiastical structures of his day and defy all that was power in the Word. Does he not tell us what it was at the Diet of Worms when he said that my conscience is held captive to the Word of God? Listen, listen, brothers and sisters. We like to talk about extraordinary men and women. We like to talk about heroes and these mighty men uh, and, and mighty women of God. Brothers and sisters, there are no extraordinary men and women. There are only those who have determined to believe the word of extraordinary God. Has God said? You can believe it. Has he promised you to keep you? You can trust it. Has he promised to defend you? You can rely on him. Has he promised never to leave you or forsake you? Believe it. How firm, the songwriter says, a foundation, saints of the Lord. Is laid up for you in his excellent word. What more, what more can he say than to you he has already said? To you who for refuge to Jesus have fled. Listen, Peter, you come. That's all Peter needed to hear. That's all. Do you have the word of God? Do you have the promises of God? Come. Come, come. That brings us to our final point in the walk of faith this morning. The focus of our faith. The foundation of our faith points to the focus, the object of it. And the object and the focus of our faith is Jesus. Is Jesus. Notice what it says in verse 30. But when Peter saw the wind, there it is, he was afraid. And beginning to sink, he cried out, Lord, save me. And Jesus immediately reached out his hand and took hold of him, saying to him, Oh, you of little faith, why did you now, beloved, we don't know exactly what Peter was thinking at that moment, but the text 
seems to imply that he took his eyes, his focus off Jesus. And perhaps for a moment he began to focus upon his circumstances, his surroundings. He, he looked at the wind. He heard the wind. He, he, he saw the waves once again, and he saw the circumstances that surrounded him, and he understood, there is no way I should be out here. There is no way I should be doing this. The circumstances say to me that this is not possible. Perhaps he took his eyes off Jesus and began to look at his circumstances and began to get convinced that what Christ had called him to do was impossible for him to do. Or perhaps it wasn't the circumstances that he began to see. Perhaps he began to look at himself. Perhaps he looked down at his feet and he said, wow, I'm walking on water." Perhaps he began to trust in himself. Perhaps he began to, to drink his own Kool-Aid, to smell himself, to read his own clippings in the paper. Perhaps he looked back in the boat and said, hey, John, look at me. I'm walking on water. What you doing, James? Andrew, check this out. Whatever the case, trust or focus upon anything other than Jesus is sure to fail. This is what faith is, beloved. It is focusing on Christ. And who is this Jesus upon whom we focus? Who is this who walks on water? What manner of man is this? Amos chapter 4 and verse 13 tells us that it is he who forms the mountains. It is he who creates the wind, who, who reveals his thoughts to mankind, who turns down to darkness, who treads on the heights of the earth. The Lord God Almighty is his name, and we know that his name is Jesus. And for a moment here, Peter became faithless. He became faithless and he ceased to focus on Christ. However, beloved, and here is the good news, is that even when Peter was faithless, Christ remains faithful. Peter, Peter took his eyes off Jesus, but notice that Jesus did not for one moment take his eyes off Peter. Oh, brothers and sisters, this is good news. And the good news is this, that you might lose sight of Jesus, but Jesus never, ever loses sight of you. Jesus saves. Jesus saves, beloved. Here we are reminded that it is not your faith that saves you. Ultimately, be reminded that Jesus saves. Your faith does not redeem you. Jesus redeems you. Your faith does not satisfy the wrath of God on your behalf. Jesus is your propitiation this morning. Your faith does not cleanse you from all your sins. Jesus does. 
Jesus saves. And he saves. He saves by little faith. He saves by great faith. He saves. Your faith may fluctuate up and down, in and out, every moment of every day. The good news is, is that the one in whom your faith is placed does not change. He is the same yesterday, today, and forever. why you got to call on Jesus. When, there's, when the kids say that there are ghosts in the closet, when the, when, the, when the spouse says that there's a phantom in the finances, when the doctor says that there's a demon in the diagnosis, when the elders say that there's a serpent among the saints, who are you going to call? Who are you going to call when there's something weird in the neighborhood? Who are you going to call when there's something strange and it don't look good? Who are you going to call? Ghostbusters? No, you better call on Jesus. Call on Jesus. Tell him what you want. Call on the Lord and tell him what you want. This is our faith, beloved. This is the assurance with which we live our lives every moment of the day. This is the conviction with which we enter into the life to come. Jesus, he is our focus. He is the object. He saves. Call on him. Tell him what you want. That's why the songwriter is right. My faith has found a resting place. Not in device, nor creed. I trust the ever-living one. His wounds for me shall plead. Enough for me that Jesus saves. That's it, beloved. There's enough for me that Jesus saves. This ends. This ends. My fear and my doubts, the sinful soul, I come to him, and he'll never cast me out. And I need no other argument, and I need no other plea. It is enough that Jesus died and that he died for me. I can imagine, I can imagine when Peter, years on, is telling this account. The climax of the story is not that he walked on water. The climax of the story is that Jesus saved me. That's always the climax of the story, beloved. When you get to heaven, you may rehearse all the things that God has done in your life. He got you through seminary. Wow! That's not the climax. Ultimately, when it's all said and done, the greatest thing that Jesus ever did for me, though, 
is he saved me. I was sinking, and he saved me. That's faith. That's faith. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, Lord, we do this day thank you for Christ, our Lord, our Savior, our Master. Lord, we pray that you would, by your Spirit this morning, bind him anew upon our hearts and bolster our trust in your Word and in him who calls us. Thank you this morning for this institution of higher learning. May it continue to produce men and women who trust in Christ and who rejoice in the God of their salvation. This is our prayer. In Jesus' name. Thank you again for listening to this chapel message from Southeastern Baptist Theological Seminary. If you are thinking about theological education on the undergraduate or graduate level, including doctoral studies, we hope that you consider us. If you also find these chapel messages encouraging and a blessing to your walk with Christ, we hope that you will consider financially supporting Southeastern. Our graduates are literally serving the kingdom across this globe, working to carry the gospel of Jesus Christ to a lost and dying world. Your gifts will help to train more, and they will serve as a worthwhile investment in God's kingdom. You can find more information about attending Southeastern or supporting us financially at www.sebts.edu. We covet your prayers and trust that God will bless every good work you do for His glory. Thank you for joining us in our chapel services.